Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by musical director of the New York City Ballet, Andrew Litton. Andrew takes us on a journey from his days as a child learning about music by sitting in the orchestra pit at the Metropolitan Opera to the first ballet performances he played accompanying Rudolf Nureyev to the work he does now, bringing scores to life, rehearsing and conducting performances at the New York City Ballet. You can catch Andrew at the podium starting September 19th at New York City Ballet's fall season. Good morning, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to talk to you about your illustrious career, but we'd love to start right at the beginning and just hear, uh, I guess, how you first um, began a life in music and at what point that started to intersect with dance. Well, I uh, was born in on the Upper West Side in, in Manhattan. In fact, uh, I was born two days after ground was broken for Lincoln Center. So I wow. like to refer to myself as the other West Side story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, my kindergarten teacher apparently said to my mother, you should give him piano lessons. We have no idea why she's long gone. As in fact, now sadly is my mother. But um, so if I was an incredibly pathetically shy little kid. And uh, so the way she got me to take my first piano lesson, there was a legendary chocolate shop right across the street on 72nd Street. That This is decades before designer chocolates, you know, like not even Godiva existed. It was called Schwartz. It was a family-run operation, and there were chocolate-covered marshmallows that were to die for. And so two things happened that day. I fell in love with music, and I'm I got fat, <laughs> but it was, it was, it, and, and so I, I took to the piano immediately and it was, uh, it was such an outlet that I, I lost my inhibitions basically. And of course, when, you know, a couple of years on when I could actually play pieces, uh, 
kids would gather around the piano and say, play, play. And so I, I got friends and, you know, I certainly wasn't winning any athletic awards. So it was great to um, have an outlet that was something I could pursue. And um, when I was 10, I started going to the, the Leonard Bernstein Young People's Concerts. Um, mm -hmm. It would make a much better story if I told you it was the first one that I attended that was an, an epiphany. I was squirming uh -huh. just like all the other little kids, but the fourth or fifth one I went to, I came out and said to my mother, who picked me and my best friend up from, you know, nobody was walking around the, the Upper West Side in those days, unescorted. Mm -hmm. It was pretty dangerous. But um, uh, I said to my mother as soon as like, we met her, I said, I want to be a conductor. And she just rolled her eyes because up till that morning, I wanted to be a fireman. <laughs> um, but not just not just any fireman. I don't know if you remember your 1970s uh, TV dramas, but I was going to be the one on the back of the hook and ladder, way up high. So people were still looking <laughs> up to me, <laughs> and some form of control, I guess. Um, but I was actually really serious, and I was very lucky. Neither of my parents were musicians, but they they loved music, and we went to everything. I mean, um, I I. I I, I guess I was at the opera or a concert uh, once or twice a week. It was incredible. Mm. And occasionally the ballet. I mean, I, I remember, you know, being dragged to to, to the famous Balanchine Nutcracker when I was five or six. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, I loved it. You know, it was it was an amazing uh, experience. So to, to make a long story a tiny bit shorter, um, the my family's best friend was the timpanist at the Met Opera. And he actually uh, retired. Uh, after serving 66 years in that position, it's the longest serving principal musician in, in the world in history so far. Wow. Um, so he was kind of a legend. But back in the in the 60s, when he was quite a bit younger, uh, he said to my parents, OK, I got this. Um, and so the deal he made with my mother is if I finished my piano practice and my homework, I could go sit in the pit next, next to him. And so I, I was at the Met two, three times a week, starting from the age of 11. And uh, it was amazing. And that lasted till about the year before I got, I graduated from high school and got into Juilliard. Uh, there was one performance of the Magic Flute where there were like 80 people in the pit. And of course, it's a Mozart opera, which has like 40 maximum people. Um, so many of the musicians saw me over the years sitting in the pit at the timpani they figured they could bring their students in to watch too <laughs> it, uh, was, it was just so the management said enough already but it was fine i right. learned so much from that vantage point i could see uh two-thirds of the stage i could of course see the conductor very clearly and by the time i was 13 or 14 i could read the score you know not just mm -hmm. piano parts but the whole score with all the instruments and so he would set me up with my own lit music stand <laughs> i was wedged between the wall of the pit and the biggest drum, the 30-inch timpani. And mm -hmm. uh, it was it was phenomenal. But in the beginning, of course, I didn't know when all the subito fortissimo loud timpani rolls were in Italian opera that are every time somebody's been discovered to be a traitor or an adulterer or whatever. <laughs> um, and so he'd go, and I'd grab my ears. And of course, within <laughs> two or three years, I, I knew where they happened in Tosca and Carmen and all those lava women. Right. So uh, it was it was fine. But anyways, an incredible educational experience. So I get into Juilliard. Um, first year, I'm I as a piano major. Um, and I hadn't even auditioned for the conducting program yet. I didn't know anything really. And 
I I don't know about about February or so of my first year, I got kind of depressed because there were 199 other pianists who mm-hmm. it seemed could play everything faster and louder than I could, which of course mm-hmm. is your objective when you're 18. Um, <laughs> and so so uh, but then suddenly one night about 11 p.m. the phone rings, and it's a friend of mine, an older he's a, was an older student at Juilliard. He said, Andy, you got to do me a favor. I said, what's up, Bill? He said, I took a gig playing f- some ballet for some ballet. And I can't, it's the one week in the year I have another engagement and they won't let me out of it. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what is it? He said, it's playing solo piano on stage with Rudolf Nureyev. Have you heard of him? I said, yes. And he said, <laughs> and it's more involved as Schubert Trout Quintet, besides the Bach, who Sony to cut and fuse. And a new Cole Porter arrangement by some guy called William Balcom, who of course became a major composer after that, basically. Um, so I thought about it for five minutes and called him back and said, absolutely. And of course, it was the first one of my first professional experience with none other than Rudolf Nureyev on stage at the what was then called the Minskoff Theater on Broadway. And the his friends, it was Nureyev and Friends, was the Murray Lewis Dance Company. And of course, Murray Lewis was a larger than life character. And so I got thrown into this amazing world of, you know, physical perfection and watching ballets be created. And it was like so inspiring. And then back to school, you know, the next morning. But, <laughs> but it was amazing because as luck would have it, I got mentioned in both the New York Times, the New York Post very favorably. So I, I walked into school the next day and everybody's like you know and I, I suddenly became somebody thanks to ballet in fact it was really <laughs> interesting and so um I became like the house pianist for a couple of years for the Niederlander group the, the producers of all these various ballet shows and so I got taken out to to LA with a group of other New York musicians to do uh, Pierre Lunaire with uh Yurev and I think it was mm-hmm. Yuri Killian um, who was the it was his choreography mm-hmm. and then uh, the the most exciting after that was Makarva started her own ballet company in 1980 didn't I don't think it lasted terribly long but we had this season at uh, what's now called the Gershwin Theater um, and it was amazing it was there were six ballets three of which were keyboard ballets so I was very busy and mm-hmm. um after that, I, I one of the members of the core and I got friendly. In fact, she we started going out and she had just gotten into New York City Ballet. So I and I also knew from another connection, one of the ushers. And this was way before security. So I literally <laughs> snuck into the ballet <laughs> instead of the opera. Now it was the ballet three or right. four times a week. Mm-hmm. And there were some pieces that absolutely uh blew my mind the pieces of music that I actually learned because I saw them first at New York City Ballet so it's really sets talking about cart before the horse um (laughs) examples examples um Ravel G major piano concerto of course it's called in G major Jerome Robbins Mm -hmm. I was playing Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky and Beethoven I you know Ravel I don't know some of the solo pieces never heard the piece before and of course I will start watching this incredible choreography particularly the second movement which is the high point yeah. of the piece anyway right. ah it blew my mind and i and i ran out and bought the music the next day and started learning it and it became a party piece i play conducted in concert many times over mm-hmm. the years but it's thanks to jerry <laughs> thanks to ravel yeah. i mean in a way or yeah. thanks to my piano teacher i mean it was mm-hmm. one of those things another i of course i i'm sort of an expert on gershwin but i had never really learned concerto in f 
And then I saw mm-hmm. balance sheet and choreography to it. I thought, this is fantastic. I got to mm-hmm. learn this piece. And then finally, who cares, which is um, coming back this season in a modified form. Uh, I'll talk, talk to you about that in a second. Um, that, I, I was like, this is incredible because as a pianist, I had a reprint of the original Gershwin songbook which mm-hmm. George Balanchine had sitting on his bookshelf. The original Gershwin songbook was published in 1932 because all of Gershwin's friends kept saying to him, these fantastic arrangements you play at these elite social gatherings every night, what, write them down so we can we can try and play them too. Because of course, there were no recording devices back then. You don't know what you can stick on a Walkman and tape it. So he he obliged, but the frustrating thing is that he only set down one chorus of, I think it's 16 songs. So he didn't flesh them out. So Balanchine had that idea on one rainy Monday afternoon. Let me get Hershey to Hershey K to flesh them out and add the intro, add a verse, chorus, mm-hmm. bridge, chorus out, you know, and the second right. chorus would be the piano solo. So it was, mm-hmm. a, it was a fantastic uh, way of giving life to this this book which otherwise just sits on bookshelves and looks pretty it was published with these amazing kind of perverse illustrations as well by a russian artist obviously a friend of his i guess anyway uh the funniest thing is years later i'm now working at city ballet and i meet alistair mccauley the one thing we disagree on is the hershey k arrangement of who cares ah. i think it's a, i think it's adorable and he hates I w- it well i was just gonna say uh, <laughs> like it's kind of um i don't know about controversial but it definitely has its detractors some people are not fans i wonder if that's just like the way that they grew up listening to those songs or they have like a nostalgic attachment to it in a specific way whereas most of my associations with those songs are from the ballet so right, I, right. i'm a i'm a fan of the k arrangement so. yeah, exactly well so so fast forward to 2023 uh we have this big gala coming up and so i've hired a composer robert miller to oh i should explain we're adding voice to these songs, the seven songs, the eight songs, sorry, that the soloists, the principals dance. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, the so we need we need a new arrangement, basically. So and the mm-hmm. the constraints to the arranger is it has to fit this choreography because the balancing stuff isn't going to change, but what mm. you listen to right. is going to change. <laughs> right. So it's it's fantastic. He's about halfway through through them. Um Embraceable You sounds great. Vanessa Williams is going to be singing that. And um Wow. It's yeah, it's Okay, who's who's doing a man I love? That's all I care. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, care. I care about all of them, but <laughs> Kelly O'Hara Kelly O'Hara. Oh and, wow. Yeah. And Star power. Okay. Exactly. No, it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. So so that was another one of the ballets, of course, that that changed uh my my life, as it were, because I actually made the first commercial recording of who cares of the Hershey K back in the, wow. the mid in the mid eighties. So, um, mm-hmm. so ballet in a funny sort of way was very influential at the beginning of my career. Cause my career started in mm-hmm. 1982. I won a conducting competition while I was still at Juilliard and that was it, you know, suddenly management, you know, and mm-hmm. six months later, uh, just the, the week after I graduated with my master's, 
sitting around going, okay, now what? And the phone rings and it's the National Symphony in Washington calling saying our uh, our music director, Mr. Slav Rostropovich, wants you to come down and audition. We have an assistant conductor opening. So I went down and I, I got the job, which was so amazing. So um moved away from New York for the first time in my life because, of course, when you go to Juilliard, you're there. I mean, mm -hmm. there were no dorms <laughs> back then. There were no dorms. So my friends used to give me grief. Oh, Lytton, you live in an eight-room apartment on Central Park West with two and help. I <laughs> mean, my parents. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> they, they didn't resent me or anything. But my mother my mother ran a soup kitchen. She she said, ah, bring whoever over. So I she just fed all the, you know, everybody was loved my mom. Mm -hmm. So so anyway, um, there I am, 2014 is rolling along. I mean, I've run a bunch of different orchestras in my life, starting with Bournemouth in England for, for six years, Dallas uh, for 12 years, Bergen, Norway, Bergen Philharmonic for 12 years, mm -hmm. Colorado for five years. And mm -hmm. um, actually, it was while I was in Colorado, uh, I got the invitation from Peter Martins to come and conduct Capella. And I thought, Sure, I'll give it a go. And you know, it's one of those pieces actually that for weeks after you finish conducting it, you're still singing the songs. Da 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 da. Songs, the tunes. It's 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 nasty in that way. It just you can't get it out of your head. But I had so much. I had so much fun. It was just a weekend uh, with four performances. My uh, compelios were Tyler Peck and Megan Fairchild. So couldn't be two nicer people to. Break mm -hmm. me in, as it were, and mm -hmm. and right. and Joaquin got injured, so Andy Vallette wound up dancing the male lead in all of the performances, and mm -hmm. it was just wow. it was it was really fun, and so that was February, and I guess in June, that I get my management gets a call saying they'd like to offer you the job, and so my my first actual conducting because I had so much work still in the calendar, was not until the 2015 Nutcracker, and um. You know, we do 48 Nutcrackers, but whoever opens it gets the rehearsal. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh. and so, you know, so it was yeah. it was really fun. And I I I I think think I, I fixed a lot of old and not so great habits. Can we talk about that a little? Because there was a New York Times article where you were talking about your first nutcracker and that you know, I, I think these, this music has been played for centuries. Like how do you how are you breathing new life into something like Nutcracker that everyone's so familiar with? Well, one of the things to remember is uh, Nutcracker's by somebody. It's by Tchaikovsky. Right. And I've had the great privilege of, I've recorded all the Tchaikovsky symphonies, including Manfred, way back at the beginning of my career and performed them many times, um, conducted Eugene Onegin at the Met. So I, it's not just coming to Nutcracker like it's a static piece. It's part of this huge, incredible output that this genius composer gave us. And so there's certain stylistic needs in Tchaikovsky. When he writes a, a woodwind solo, a, a line, it mm. tells a story. Just think of the oboe solos in Swan Lake. Gorgeous. And, mm -hmm. and you know, he also was going through things cyclically. So at exactly the same time as he's giving the oboe this huge part in Swan Lake, he also wrote the fourth symphony, which has a huge oboe solo in the second movement. So it's clear that this sound was something that was capturing him at that moment. Um, and I mean, that's almost meaningless, except that when you start approaching all the music as being from one source and having a sense of style to it, it creates a different understanding. So one of the things that I 
was surprised at is Waltz of the Flowers, one of the, I think, greatest waltzes ever written. And I'm including the entire Strauss family on this. I mean, it's just, it's just <laughs> ex extraordinary waltz. Mm -hmm. And the French horns are going, pa, 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 pa. And I'm like, uh, no, okay, there's no slur over it, which would be, uh, they're lines. And in Tchaikovsky, mm -hmm. lines mean you sustain the sound to the next note, but there's a front. So I came up with this, just it's one of those, you know, you, you can't believe you've thought of this because, God, you must be a genius. How did you think of this at the moment? But mm -hmm. sometimes you're, one is just blessed, as you know, and <laughs> come, up, come up with a great idea. And I said, this is by Balanchine. This is his Nutcracker Ballet. And you see how the longer notes, Balanchine. Mm -hmm. right. So, and I sang it to them and they're all like, eh. It took me three years to get that rid of that to get to get the habit, and, and you know, and it's funny because you go to conduct symphony orchestras in this music, and they just naturally play a long line because it's a lyrical line; mm -hmm. it's not noty, right? You know, so, mm -hmm. so, so that was that was one tiny tip of the iceberg, but there were lots of things, and of course, I have to be honest, I'd been conducting and following sound by the time I got this job for thirty-seven years, but suddenly to be following sight. It is a completely different set of chops. And so it was a very right. steep learning curve. I think early on, the dancers were rolling their eyes and going, oh, my God. Oh, no, not Litton. <laughs> Can we have one of the other people? <laughs> um, but, you know, the good news is uh, I, I think I know how music goes. And so it was just a question <laughs> of knowing how to put the music to the dance, you know, and and right, right. and it's it's been, you know, it's it's a much more comfortable place now for me. You know, I, I, I understand right the dance steps and I understand what they need. And there's uh, great differences between, between when you need to follow a dancer and when you, they really kind of need to follow you. Right. And the, frame, and the, yeah. the biggest thing uh, for me that I bring to the table is after all these years as an orchestra conductor, so much of our repertoire is concert music, concert hall music, not ballet. Mm -hmm. It started life as a concert hall piece. And so for me, I right. come in with that perspective and say to the, the repertory director, you know, this really should go a little bit faster. By the second show, do you think mm -hmm. I can, you know, push it forward a little yeah. bit in this particular passage? And and I've gotten them so that they'll come up to me and said, okay, go. And, and you know, by, by the second or third show, and it's fantastic watching them fly around the stage. <laughs> and then I come upstairs and I'm expecting dirty looks and they said, that was fun, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, that's what they're trained for. That's what they like to do. Yeah. Wait, I want to, I mean, I want to get into some of the, the details of like the, what the musical repertoire is at New York City Ballet, but I know exactly one joke about classical music and I thought maybe you would be amused by it. How many symphonies did Tchaikovsky compose three the fourth fifth and sixth um, <laughs> it's a joke about you know the, like i guess that the first three are are not thought to be as you know they're not masterworks on the same level as the fourth fifth and sixth but the the third symphony is what what balanchine used for diamonds um and they're you know balanchine chose to use tchaikovsky's second piano concerto versus the first which is was very popular um so some of the things that are in the repertoire aren't necessarily like go to like he he you know only you know Barocco is really it for Bach never touched Beethoven so sometimes the the musical rep isn't I don't know I guess if, if you're being snobby maybe it's not top drawer but um what is or, or you have things like Agon that isn't going to be played in a concert hall or things like 
Bize Symphony in C that Balanchine sort of maybe re resurrected. Like you do have a, even though they're great musical works, it's not necessarily like the greatest hits of classical music. So what is that like conducting some of those works? And well, what do you, what do you, how do you bring out the best of those? Well, it's so ironic of some of the things, names you mentioned. Tchaikovsky Third, I call the underdog symphony, was the first <laughs> one I recorded when I was recording all the Tchaikovsky symphonies in Bournemouth because I believe in it so much. So um, the one thing I'm sad at is that he didn't bother with the first movement, Balanchine, because right. I, you know, the rest of the, I really love the rest <laughs> of the piece. And uh -huh. um, you've got to take approach those early Tchaikovsky's with just complete abandon and and like mm -hmm. take no prisoners and I'm not apologizing for this you know it's it's got to have that yeah. feeling and I think Balanchine knew that so that's why I think the choreography improves the music even and that's the key a lot of the repertoire you mentioned the Balanchine has helped its shelf life Nobody knew Bizet Symphony in C till the 50s when he got a hold of it. And suddenly, wow, right. how many times a year do we play it alone? And right. orchestras and ballet companies all over the world have jumped on the bandwagon because it's actually a beautiful piece. Mm -hmm. uh, even mm -hmm. though he wrote it when he was 19 and, you know, as a school mm -hmm. exercise, you know, it's kind of incredible. <laughs> um, Agon, absolutely. The one thing that attracted me so much to this job, because after doing the same 40 pieces again and again, to, to come into a company where I suddenly had to learn Agon and Symphony of Three Movements, one of my, I love Symphony of Three Movements. That was one of the it's ballets. Favorite, it's our favorite yeah. ballet. We, we did, uh, we went, Rebecca and I, we did like a March Madness for Balanchine Ballets. And you think, you th you always think Serenade's going to come out on top, but the end, we we didn't look at each other as we shared it at the end. We both picked Symphony and Three Movements. It's just, it's hard to, to it's just amazing. It's just perfect. Yeah. It is. And I never forget the first time I was going to get to conduct it. Uh, we had, there was a party of some sort of uh, reception be the day before. And I ran into Barbara Horgan and I said, I'm so excited. Tomorrow's my first Symphony in Three. And she said, do you know, he was driving everybody crazy when he created it because he couldn't figure out the counts. And, and then Peter <laughs> Martins corroborated that later. He said it was two weeks before and he's still changing his mind and we're going crazy. And he finally mm -hmm. walked in one morning, apparently two weeks before the premiere was smiling and says, I got it. I got it. So what's <laughs> fascinating for me is because the dance counts have nothing to do with the printed page of the Naturally. music. And, sure. and, and, but, but he of course could read music. He was a very fine pianist. So it's like something obviously uh, inside his amazing brain just said, no, my one is going to be on the third beat of this part. You know, it's like mm -hmm. we feel it. Like so, so sometimes we actually yeah. literally have to start halfway through a measure. You know, at dance rehearsals, so right. that we're with them. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. 
Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um, Is that common in some Balanchine ballets? Have you noticed where the dancers have different counts? Like you're saying, he does read music. Is it corresponding yeah. with what you're looking at? It's more common in the in the later compositions mm. you know the Stravinsky's um it's uh but you know to, to think we, we recently tried to recreate the Stravinsky festival um that he did in 1972 I guess it was or was it 73 I don't know but 72 uh, 72 yeah <laughs> I know so <laughs> we 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 did uh I think I did 16 ballets but that was nothing aside of what they did in one week this is over two weeks right. back right. then and of course they were all new <laughs> you know we only had mm-hmm. one or two new new mm-hmm. things so um it just must have been insane but to, to have come out of that the violin concerto uh symphony three and duo concertantes already a right. yield like anybody would dream about any choreographer would dream yeah. about yeah. um i love the opportunity to work on a ballet from scratch with the choreographers because mm. uh there's much more give and take and also you can establish what the tempos are really going to be rather than being told later uh it needs to be this and so there's there's a wonderful sense of interaction i had great time with chris wielden uh his latest ballet which was set to schoenberg's for Nacht until mm. i tested positive so i didn't i didn't, oh, <laughs> no. I, did, I did all the pre-rehearsals the orchestra rehearsals and uh, bye you know? oh, no. <laughs> so, so that was that was a total bummer but um but working now with alexei radmansky on uh choosing music for his his next ballet i don't want to tell you more because uh I think he's still thinking, you know, toying between a couple <laughs> of ideas, but brilliant mm-hmm. ideas, you know, Szymanowski and Frank and composers that, again, like Balanchine, are underrepresented in mm-hmm. the orchestra pit and the right. concert hall stage. So right. I think I think it's a very wise thing in a way to take music, maybe lesser known works by great composers, because there's still something in there that made them mm-hmm. great composers. And so what I love about City Ballet is the chance to conduct these works multiple times. Like Stravinsky Violin Concerto, I probably did in concert hall three times in my career. And now suddenly I'm doing mm-hmm. it eight times a All season. Time. You know? yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it's just, it's a phenomenal piece. We got great violinists. Oh. So, you know, all of that stuff makes it, makes it really exciting and rewarding. Um, there was another ballet that, oh, the most fun, though, I have when I do little lectures about the musical side of the business uh, and ballet is Concerto Barocco, because Balanchine was really astute as to what the tempo, he knew what the tempo should be, whether in the process he added a few more steps to make it impossible to actually do that tempo in whatever piece is <laughs> conceivable. But when Balanchine did his iconic Concerto Barocco, we had no idea what authentic instrument practice was going to teach us about the performance of Bach and Baroque music. So mm-hmm. he was probably listening to a Fort Wangler recording from the 50s, you know, when he came up with this. Right. Sorry, I have a terrible voice. 
<laughs> and I, I then will put on Hillary Hahn from 2014, and it's you know. And can you imagine? No. Like that. But that's not wasn't Balanchine's fault. We didn't know. You know, it took it took literally the 70s, 80s, and 90s to teach us. You know, all these learned scholars instructed us. No, it's been wrong all these years. The 19th century messed up performance mm-hmm. practice of baroque music and so mm-hmm. um yeah i'm still a dinosaur i love the old-fashioned stuff i don't mind taking these ridiculously so bach tempos but <laughs> but it's that's the only place where he and innocently completely got the tempo wrong and again mm-hmm. innocent well i i remember there was some sort of i think it was in jennifer Holman's book they were writing about i think it was serenade that there's tchaikovsky wrote the, the tempo at a specific you know, in a specific way, but then they they kind of guessed that he had flipped a number. I don't know how this. I I mean, I'm very, I'm a musical novice here. <laughs> but let's say it's like meant to be. Like I don't know what. Let's say 127, but it was written as 172 or something. And then they were like, it couldn't be that. We're just gonna flip it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel like there are those instances where he was willing to take some liberty. Well, I mean, of course, flipping elegy and the Russian section. Yeah. Why didn't he use the first section of the third symphony? That sort of thing. Right. Um, and how do you, you feel know, about that? Because this was one thing we talked with Alistair <laughs> about. And Alistair, put, Alistair McCauley put us in touch, which is so great. So we're able to speak with you today. And he, when we talked to him about Serenade, that was one of the things we were talking about, the musical changes. And he was kind of saying, like, would Ch- what would Tchaikovsky think? So yeah. what do we what do I, we think? I think Tchaikovsky, who, by the way, took criticism i mean he he was always criticized by his friends by his colleagues reasonably well for saying you know he he was the greater genius than all of them put together um mm-hmm. but uh i think because balanchine had so much respect for him they would have been friends had they lived at mm-hmm. the same time and i think tchaikovsky would have worked well with him i have absolutely no doubt that he would not have minded the 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 uh, flipping of the movements because mm-hmm. he didn't write it as a ballet. He wrote it as a piece of music, but you turn it into a ballet. Uh, it needs, you know, and of course, as we watch this iconic ballet, another iconic ballet, you can't imagine it the other way around with a triumphant ending, you know? Oh. Um, and right. so, so Balanchine makes this change. He also adds a repeat in the waltz, which is maybe naughtier right. even, but <laughs> the, the interesting thing I think that uh, maybe Alistair was referring to is I found, I own a, a DVD of, the in the late 50s, the company went up to Canada and filmed a bunch of uh, Balanchine's ballets with the CBC right. Symphony. And there's mm-hmm. a performance of uh, Serenade where instead of the loud ending of the first movement, there's this big diminuendo, and he actually leaves mm-hmm. out the last bar. You know, there's no blast. Yeah. And then yeah. the couple is together and they go, <laughs> it's absolutely beautiful. It makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Instead of this loud, crashy string sound, it's just. So I, I, I mentioned it to everybody, including Alistair, and they let me do it that way for one season. Balanchine Trust came back and said, uh uh-uh, uh, put it back. No. And oh. but it was it was really interesting. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's like, wow, that's really interesting. I don't think they liked it better, 
But the point mm-hmm. is that at one point, Balance Sheen tried this. And I just thought it would be neat for everybody to hear it, including myself, um, in the context of the choreography. Mm-hmm. I'm mad that I missed that and that it's going in the fall and it's not going to be there. Because no, um, I actually, not I'm not like, I'm a big Balanchine bunhead, but I don't know that I'm a purist in the sense that I don't always feel like we need to only see the last thing he ever did, like his last decision on anything. So I would love to to see that, but I guess I'll be missing it. You know, <laughs> Because sometimes w- when you get the thwack, it feels like, it feels a little dead in the water before you move into the next section, right? Exactly. Like, but if and you have that serenity, yeah. You see, so it sort of, I, I thought, just morphed into this waltz much more cohesively yeah. with the visual. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the, the computer said no. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, um, from your very first performance with New York City Ballet of Coppelia till now, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned about dance and conducting for dance? Well, the biggest lessons I've learned is what I'm looking at. Because before, <laughs> you know, as you can imagine, you're just looking at it, oh, they're, they're so pretty. That's so nice. Look at that. Can do that. That's it's like going to the Rockettes for crying out loud, you know. But then you <laughs> then you get your chops together. You learn, you know, what a fuete is and do I follow them or do they follow me? And and all that right. sort of stuff. And, and of course, it's also piece dependent. And as I said to you earlier, that's a concert piece. I weigh in a little bit more heavily than if it's Swan Lake or Sleeping Beauty because those are ballet ballets, you know, mm-hmm. and right. and I feel that they're, um, it's like conducting bel canto opera, what the soprano wants, the soprano gets. And in, uh-huh. in ballet, what the prima ballerina wants, she gets. So, right. Um, right. and and so it is, what's, what I've learned is there's much more give and take, uh, tempo-wise, interpretively, uh, than I first thought. You know, it, it's just, we've had to learn to communicate with each other because, mm-hmm. Dancers don't know how to speak music and musicians don't know how to speak dance. You know, they certainly, we certainly don't know physically what it feels like to do what you guys are doing. And um, so to, to sort of learn that vicariously is is part of the process that has now made it a lot easier for me to do my job, mm-hmm. you know, and feel like I'm not being embarrassing in any way, <laughs> but to actually, there was some, I used to t- tell Tyler Peck, you know, I love you so much because you make me look good. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what really tempo I is... she nailed it, you know. <laughs> right. But now, oh. fortunately, I don't, I, hopefully that's not the case anymore. So. <laughs> uh, you know, we were, we've been, had a couple conversations recently. We were talking to, for instance, Janie Taylor about, this wild time where she had to basically improvise on stage a whole pot of, you know, we love those moments of live theater and they certainly happen in the pit as well. I mean, we had, we um, our pianist, we were just talking about this, Rebecca and I were talking about yeah. this earlier, like our pianist in the middle of a performance of polyphonia that we were doing his sheet music blew away. Cause you know, in Florida, that AC is always, always. blasting <laughs> and, and, and uh, like our, this, this pianist is pretty unflappable, but like I, pro- I remember him practicing that score every morning. Mm-hmm. Like he, it was like he was like, "This is the hardest thing. You don't, you have no idea." And so for that to be the ballet where his sheep is <laughs> away, thing. and he's just like, "But I'm sure you have stories like that where you're conducting and something just goes awry, and you have to just like on the fly go with it and and correct it or whatnot." Well, the funniest thing recently was Nutcracker this past year. Um, I came in late in the run. And we have a new pianist, who's fantastic, by the way. She's going to be playing 
Shike 2 uh, when it comes mm -hmm. this year. Um, but we use a synthesizer for the, the boys' chorus at this. Mm -hmm. Most companies do. And right. uh, it's been, we've been working on it since I got there, and I'm sure way before me, to try and make it actually sound like boys and not <laughs> a stupid synthesizer, you know? Right. So right. We finally got it so that it actually sounds really good. The balance is right in the house. So I turned to give her the first cue, and somebody had hit a button, and it went boop, 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 boop. <laughs> it was oh, no. so, you know instead of getting mad you just start laughing i was roaring with yeah. laughter and the dancers the snow's flakes are just like what the what is going on <laughs> and of course she's a, just a pianist she didn't know what button right. to push to fix it so right, right, sure. right. so that will never happen again because she's been trained now and what to push and you know yeah. make sure mm -hmm. but that was hysterical and nobody got hurt no, <laughs> that's <laughs> good <laughs> honestly i'm sure those I'm sure those snowflakes were happy. They were like a, a change, a change. Something you know, to think about. Different. Yeah. <laughs> Distraction. <laughs> well, they're looking, you know, they're looking and laughing down at me like it was my fault, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was that's pretty good. Hysterical. Yeah, I went up on I don't usually go up till the end, but I, I went up on stage afterwards and explained. So it was fun. Aww. But that's I mean, well, otherwise there isn't really uh thankfully, fortunately, nothing catastrophic has happened so far one of our with... biggest stories michael and i were talking about too was during symphony in three for us one of the um someone who was supposed to be keeping the um like the base at that moment like our our count like fell asleep or something and wasn't there and so our pianist started trying to play what that was supposed to be but then he was missing the piano and everyone was on stage like three four five. so chaotic, it was chaotic. It, i think it just like bottomed out it was it's in the middle of the six principles dance mm -hmm. uh, and what we like we call row 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 your boat because of the step you do but it was just like you go there it's like a a little it's a rest right before that right before row your boat yeah yeah and then it was just like, they just didn't come back in because it was so chaotic and disorganized. And we're just like, okay, I guess, what do we do now? you know, we just have to go with it. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, there's fun things though that I've gotten involved with visually um, that I feel kind of good about because uh, for example, in the Infernal Dance in Firebird, mm -hmm. uh, at one point, the kids who are running around do claps, but they were doing one more than the music. And mm -hmm. I said to Rosemary, there is no way Jerry would have choreographed for 12 of those. There are only 11. Uh -huh. And she uh -huh. said, oh, and so then I had to teach everybody the correct. Oh. <laughs> and what's so funny is so you can't fun. even really hear it because they have costumes mm -hmm. on, but uh -huh. it's the visual, you know, there's no way. Yeah. He, he was smart enough to know there's only 11. The other thing was when we were doing Symphony in Three, I noticed that uh, there's only so long you can hold the last chord, but they were getting to the final pose of the first movement late. And I kept saying, can't they start turning sooner? And it mm -hmm. will work. And so I, I managed yeah. to achieve that. And I also said, please drop the curtain two seconds later because it starts to come down. People start to clap, but that freeze that the, mm. is part of the, the visual you'd have mm -hmm. you don't yeah. realize that not only has the chord stopped you know there's still a rhythm going obviously but the the music has sort of frozen too even mm -hmm. though it's still going but the visual to actually register yeah. that it's over i think 
it's so much more telling if the curtain comes down just a second or two later. Mm, so again, that's right. the only time I open my mouth. Otherwise, I'm like, that's really important. Impressed. It's collaboration, you know. That's very and, important. And, yeah. And the greatest thing is every night walking out into the pit, looking up at that gold curtain, saying, "We're going to change lives," and we do. No, oh, you do. You do. The beautiful I, mean, I, still no, yeah. I think so many of us remember our very first performance in that theater and like what and it, it changes the course of your of your life yeah and you know i can see the faces in the first row because you know if i turn around because both stage light illuminates them and there's just always like you know awe mm. there's never <laughs> like well maybe before we wrap up could you tell us in over the course of the next year, which is the 75th anniversary, 75th anniversary of the New York City Ballet? So, you know, that programming is pretty bonkers. I want to see everything. Um, but maybe what you're most looking forward to conducting this year. Well, I'm opening the season doing all the jewels, uh, jewels. Um the my, jewels <laughs> my favorite, my favorite experience with that was when uh one summer the uh Paris Opera Ballet Company and the mm -hmm. uh, Bolshoi right. came over and yeah. we swapped, but I was right. the same conductor. It was fascinating oh. working mm -hmm. with these two other companies. Um, and uh, Peter was like, you know, he kept wanting to fix stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. I said, Peter, calm down. It's you have to let it's it fine. be. It's fine. Yeah. There are guests, yeah. but that was great. So I love, <laughs> I love doing jewels. Um, the also, one of the later seasons, which is in spring, it must be uh, midsummer. I love Balanchine's mm. Midsummer; it's so great. And yeah. um, but uh, I'm looking forward to Tyler Peck's new ballet because it's her first ballet for us. And like I say, mm -hmm. I, I love working with her. But she's chosen a challenging piece, Poulenc Two Piano Concerto, which is is it's challenging for us to getting two pianos in the pit but um yeah but uh but it's i think that's going to be a very exciting uh show and uh and that's it i mean otherwise it's i i'm i'm doing the return of bure fantasque which i'm looking forward to oh, my favorite we love that ballet <laughs> yeah no nobody knows it here it's been a long time so we um, did it in, in the, um there's yeah we did a lot in Miami. Um, no, but we did it but in New York another... too, at Lincoln Center. And we, oh yeah, we performed it in New York at the mm -hmm. State Theater. Well, mm -hmm. I call it the State Theater still. Um, uh, it will always uh -huh. be the State Theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, See, but there's a, a perfect example of Balanchine. Maybe Balanchine. He's not always right about his own work. You know, he let that <laughs> fall out of rep. Yeah. And we love that ballet. So good. <laughs> that is cool. Now, so that's that's basically it. I mean, um, the I. Just I'm very excited to go back to work and uh mm. you know August is boring. <laughs> I just can't wait to yeah. So, so, uh, so very excited about it. Yeah. Thank Great. you so much for your time. This was so much fun getting to chat with you. We love to hear um the other side, different perspective. It's really fun for us. So thank you so much for joining us oh, today. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for your interest in asking. Thank you so much. Conversations on Dance is part of the ACAST Creator Network. For more information, visit conversationsondancepodpod.com.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.